Happy New Year! Depending on when it is you're actually listening to this. <laughs> this is a show explicitly and only made possible by listeners like yourself. As of this recording, we're less than 100 bucks away from being able to afford a third season of the show. Now, the deadline for this is the Lapse's second anniversary in February, which also happens to be my birthday. I launched the show on the same day. Listen, I'm sure you've heard this plea from plenty of podcasts, so I'm just going to get straight to the point. Some of those shows, especially the bigger ones, they raise $100,000 or more a year, and comparatively, your dollar there is a drop in the bucket to what it would be here. The folks who've been donating a dollar or three or five or, or, or whatever it is that they can afford, that's why you're able to listen to this show today. So if you've been thinking of supporting the show, what I do here at The Laps, now's a better time than ever, and hey, there is a 20-minute bonus episode there you can't hear anywhere else. Patreon.com slash The Laps. Thank you, everybody. With that said, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Lap Storytelling Podcast, where we tell true stories gussied up. I'm your host, Cal Jest, and today we have something that doesn't occur every day on this show. We have a returning storyteller. Jupiter Diego shared a story earlier this year, and he's just got so damn many that he got right back to me. Now, it's not unusual for kids to experiment with drugs. It's not unusual for some of those kids to grow into addicts. And before my next sentence becomes some sort of rejected Tom Jones lyric, let me just say, it's also not unusual for some of those addict kids to become addicts with kids. We're calling this one The Envelope, Please. See with your ears. This is The Lapse. I was terrified of taking LSD. But I really wanted to anyway. I grew up in this upper middle class neighborhood, still is, Cheviot Hills. Every kid I knew at age, they hold it, man. We're getting interrupted. I need to turn this off. Fuck, hold it. Oh, man. Hey, sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Let me turn this off. Ah. Every kid I knew was smoking pot, dropping acid, and most of them shooting heroin or coke by the age of 15 or 16. We did a lot of other naughty things as well. Uh, throwing Molotov cocktails, I remember one time, uh, dropping smoke bombs into the living room of a lady's bridge game. <laughs> then the police were called as all these old ladies came running out of the house screaming. And we were just watching like 20 feet away on our bicycles and we didn't even run, you know. <laughs> that, but this is how it was. I, I, I mean, you're asking really about the culture. I dropped acid with these boys very powerful blotter acid. I must have been 15, 16. The two boys took 50 hits of very powerful LSD and put it in the mother's coffee. She never recovered from that. I was the success story of that neighborhood. 
I went off to UC Berkeley and, you know, actually graduated college. And stimulants and narcotics did not become real avenues of escape until I was in my 30s. Sometimes I just get a little too curious for my own good. I found that it was remarkably easy to buy 99.8% pure so-called research chemicals legally online. They're very powerful and they do work. The only downside, of course, is that uh, you may die. <laughs> you may die of an unexpected overdose because of the unexpectedly high potency. Look, this one day, I expect it would be coming. I had a P.O. box. I go to the post office. I open my box. There's the envelope, royal mail stamps on it. So I know it's from India or Hong Kong. I know right away what's in it. There's a CD, a Christmas Carol CD. They do this to disguise what they're really shipping. I look in the liner notes. Oh, there's a little booklet. I pull it out. And sure enough, inside, I wanted to do it right then and there, but I managed to get it home first. Two grams of ethylphenidate, structurally similar to methylphenidate, otherwise known as Ritalin, but it's quite a bit more powerful. These drugs release dopamine in the brain, the way Hoover Dam releases billions of gallons of water. I want you to imagine having sex with 10 of the most beautiful young people all at the same time, nonstop for hours. It is a sexual high that can almost not be described. It goes on and on and on. And you don't have to do a thing. I had ordered two different designer drugs. It wasn't just ethylphenidate. I had the ethylphenidate, but I also had methiopropamine, otherwise known as MPA, structurally similar to methamphetamine. I'm not so much a drug addict as I am a dopamine addict. I had said to myself unequivocally, no way am I mixing these two drugs. We're just gonna do the ethylphenidate. My family was out. They were at the market. I was 40 when my first child was born. My dad was 50 when I was born. We were just smart, I guess, you know. (laughs) 
This is a drug of more. This is a drug that, you know, makes rats and monkeys continue to paw at the glass for more until they're dead. Any dopaminergic drug is an agent of more. I didn't have any more. So I broke out the methiopropamine. I took half of that gram on the blade of a knife and I snorted it all in one shot. I go back into my office. Nine one one was called. These two men came in the house and strapped me to a gurney. I believe at this moment I was already dead or in the last final few moments of life. I floated above my house, perhaps a hundred feet high. My wife and children stood watching on the sidewalk, tears streaming down their faces as the medics wheeled the gurney with my body on it and loaded it into the ambulance. I saw all of this. The sounds made no sense. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know why there were tubes going in my nose and in my arm. The blood pressure cuff inflating. My children were pressing my fingers trying to get me to wake up. I didn't even know who these people were. Everything appeared like some kind of electric cartoon. And my wife's face was modularized and disjointed like in a cubist painting. A doctor, my wife, would come and talk to me, but I couldn't understand them, and I could not make my mouth talk. I couldn't answer them. What did you take? What did you take? Tell us what you took. Eventually, I could. They kept me in the hospital overnight. They thought perhaps I'd had a stroke. I told them the truth about what I had taken. I told them I was sorry to have put them through this. Well, you know what it feels like to be an asshole, right? You have to understand, I've always been in therapy, rehab, seven or eight different times, psychiatric wards, halfway houses, 
the chief realization that I had was, you are safe to love when people trust you. When we hurt the people we love in any way, okay, whether it's physically hurting them, emotionally hurting them, scaring them, making them worry, whatever it is, we make ourselves less safe to love. Consistency, predictability. Now, mind you, nobody has ever accused me of being overly consistent. Jupiter, you are the most consistent person I've ever met. No, I never heard that. <laughs> but we do our poor best. It's important. It's important. If we really do love the people around us, it's important. Look, there is a genetic component to addiction. Now, if you're one of the unlucky ones, the one in 10 who has this genetic predisposition, as I obviously did, that makes you want to do it again and again and again. But if you're not one of those people and that switch does not get flicked, you are more likely to say, okay, well, that was cool, whatever. What are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do? You have somebody who's already getting all of the support that society has to offer, and they're just gonna fuck up anyway. What are you gonna do, shoot them? I was like, hey, have you tried shooting me? I can't wait till a future generation has the gene therapies developed in at hand to turn those fucking little switches off in genetically vulnerable pre-addicts such as I was. I think the only person who's been in therapy more than I have is Woody Allen. That story again was shared by Jupiter Diego. Jupiter's stories have been featured on several shows, including, of course, The Laps, but he's also been on This Is Actually Happening, Snap Judgment. You can find more of his work at jupiterdiego.com. Thanks, as always, to Jesse Brennan for this show's transcription and to our executive-level patrons, courtesy patreon.com slash the laps, Jill Galvez, Dan Lesser, Cindy Crines, Matthew Gibson, and Richard Gwertz. Remember, if all you can afford is even a dollar, that's one step closer to third season of The Laps. February's just a month away. If you have a story to share, contact me. I am at stories at thelaps.org, and I am always listening. You can catch me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well, at The Laps Podcast. My name is Kyle Jest, and this was The Lapse. Thank you so much for listening.